Amen. Well, that's good singing. I don't care where you go. Amen. Well, I'm glad you've got my volume up, fellas. I like that. I, uh, I've been battling a little head cold and a sore throat today, but don't worry. I'm going to give you the full dose anyway. Amen. I like to get the volume up loud so people feel like I'm sitting right beside them so they won't miss the point I'm trying to make. I always ask the sound man to turn me up, but a lot of times they won't turn me up because people sometimes complain when they can't uh, daydream or sleep while I'm preaching. So when you get the volume up loud, sometimes they'll complain and the, and the sound man has to stay here and take all that abuse. So a lot of times they won't turn you up. I was doing a revival in Laurel, Mississippi. I told you about that lasted for 10 weeks. I got there and I said, turn me up, but they wouldn't turn me up. I kept saying, turn me up, but they wouldn't turn me up. Finally, on week three, the sound man got saved. (laughs) And he turned me up, amen. One afternoon, I saw him come out of the church before the service. He had uh, an amplifier under each arm. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to trade these things in. We got to turn it up. And I like it loud. I want to get loud and draw a crowd. Amen. You feel pretty good tonight? You be in prayer for me as I battle through this. And uh, uh, I'll try to make it. I have preached revival somewhere over in Texas, Brother Chris. I can't remember where it was. But I preached revival where I completely lost my voice. And I still preached. And uh, we still had people get saved. So God's going to do what he's going to do. If I'll just show up and you show up, amen. Do you have your Bibles tonight? Take them in turns, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. Fellas, you ought to find that pretty easy. It's the last book in the Bible. Go all the way to the end, and when you get to the index, you've gone too far. Come back a little bit. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. If you will, please join me in standing as we honor the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 20, here's what it says. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for the folks who have assembled. I pray, God, right now, take control of this service. I pray, God, clear my voice and clear my head. And I pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit, God. Control my words and my thoughts, God. I pray that everything I would say and do tonight would glorify you. I pray, God, as I preach tonight that your spirit will move among the congregation up and down the aisles to every pew to every heart I pray right now God for every man every woman every boy every girl every teenager dear God 
Convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. God, do what only you can do, and that is to save a soul and change a life. I claim victory in your name and thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. (laughs) The Bible teaches that there is coming a day when there will be no more days, when time will be no more, when busy streets will no longer be busy, and commerce will no longer have its place, and Wall Street will be as silent as an Egyptian's tomb. It'll be a day when you won't need a calendar because life as you and I know it will be over. It will be a day when God will write the final sentence, he'll place the final period, and it will all be done. It will be the last day, the final day, the judgment day, the end of all time. And everything that men have dreamed for and schemed for and some have even sold their souls for, it'll all be dust and rust and ashes. Done, done for the last final judgment day. Now, I know you folks will say, wait a minute, will you? We don't want to hear a message about judgment. You've been here one day already, and you've done nothing but preach hard to us all day. We'd like to hear tonight one of your pretty sermons. Somebody might say, William, I'd like to hear a message about love. And to be sure, the Bible is full of love. In fact, the Bible says God is love. Somebody might say, well, I'd like to hear a message about joy. And to be sure, the epitome of salvation is joy. But dear friends, as I have traveled across America for 30 years, I have become convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that the one message that America needs to hear today is the message that judgment is real, that judgment is certain, that judgment is coming. Folks need to understand about God's judgment and all of its reality. One day, some well-meaning folks came to that great evangelist, Billy Sunday. And they said, Billy, you're preaching too hard. You're making everybody mad. Billy, you need to lighten up a little bit because you're rubbing the fur of the cat the wrong way. And old Billy said, well, that old cat's headed toward hell. You turn him around, then I'll be rubbing him the right way. You see, we've got folks here tonight who need to be turned around. And if a message like this can motivate you and inspire you and turn you around, it'll be worth it all. Amen. Because the Bible says, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Do you realize one day you're going to stand before God? Do you realize that one day you're going to have to give an account to God? I mean, dear friends, you may have fooled your husband, you may have fooled your wife, you may have fooled yourself. But when you stand before God, all the fooling's over with. He knows everything there is to know about you. One day, you're going to stand before God. You have no choice about that. You will give an account to God. Now, tonight, you have a choice at which judgment you'll stand at. You have a choice tonight of whether you'll stand before what's called the judgment seat of Christ or you'll stand before the great white throne judgment. You see, most people have a misconception about the judgment of God. Most people think there's only going to be one judgment. They think everybody will stand before God at the same time to find out whether they're going to heaven or not. They think they'll stand there and God will say, okay, you to my right, you to my left, you to heaven, you to hell. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches there are going to be several judgments. There's the judgment of Jews, the judgment of nations, the judgment of the saved, and the judgment of the unsaved, just to name a few. 
See, whether you go to heaven or hell is not decided at some big last judgment. Whether you go to heaven or hell is decided right here, right now, by what you do with Jesus Christ. If you will acknowledge your sin before God, if you will repent and turn from your sin, if you will by faith receive Christ as Lord and Savior, God will save your soul right here and right now. When you die, you'll go straight to heaven. In heaven, you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not to find out whether you're going to heaven or not. You'll already be in heaven. But you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that your good works as a Christian might be judged and rewarded. The same Bible says, though, while you're here on planet Earth, you may have walked down an aisle in a Baptist church. You may have been dunked in some water. But if you've not been born by the Spirit of God, dear friend, when you die, you go straight to hell. No purgatory, no soul sleep, no second chance. You draw that last breath without Jesus, you go straight to hell. Then the Bible says one day, those in hell will be brought out of hell to stand before what's called the great white throne judgment. Because at that judgment, the evil deeds of the lost man will be judged. Because the Bible teaches that the punishment in hell will be by degrees. So whether you go to heaven or hell is decided in this life by what you do with Jesus. I've heard people pray this prayer in church. Oh God, grant that one day we might stand before your great white throne judgment. (laughs) Hey buddy, don't pray that prayer for me. Don't be praying that prayer for me. Because here the great white throne is one trial that I'm not going to attend. You see fellows, I settled my case out of court. I settled my case at Calvary. On Thursday night, October 24th, 1983, I got on my knees before God. I repented. I was born by the Holy Spirit of the living God. I'm not going to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. But what about you? What about you? See, the tragedy, dear friends, as I've learned after so many years of preaching that With a crowd this size, there are people here right now tonight who one day will stand before the great white throne judgment. Not because you're a bigger sinner than everybody else. Not because you've done more bad things than good things. Not because you haven't joined the right kind of church. But you'll stand before the great white throne judgment because there was never a day in your life when you did what the Bible said. There was never a moment when you got honest with God. There was never a time that you saw yourself as a sinner and repented and gave ownership of your life to God. You've never been supernaturally born by the Holy Spirit. And one day you're going to stand before God at the great white throne judgment and be lost for all eternity. Because the great white throne judgment is the last final judgment for the unsaved. What's it going to be like? Well, you'll be glad to know that tonight I've got a good Baptist sermon for you. I mean, just got three points, amen? Number one, I will talk about the judge. Who's going to be the judge at the great white throne judgment? Number two, I want to talk about the defendants who are going to be the people that stand before this judge. And then number three, I want to talk about the trial itself. What's going to happen on that judgment day? Number one, the judge. Who's going to be the judge at the great white throne judgment? The Bible says, and he who sits upon the throne. Who is that little pronoun, him that sits upon the throne? Who is that? Who's going to be the judge at that final judgment? Well, let me tell you a few groups that it's not going to be. First of all, you will not be the judge. 
Because you love you like I love me, and we all think pretty high of ourselves, don't we? I mean, it's a wonder we don't break our arm patting ourselves on the back because we, we think we're so good. Now, you may be one of those old boys, you've got your own ideas about God, got your own ideas about salvation, got your own ideas about your relationship with God. But, buddy, when you stand before this judge, what you think really won't matter because you're not going to be the judge. He's going to be somebody else. Also, your friends and your loved ones will not be the judge. Now, my mother always thought I was special. You know how mothers are, don't you? My mother used to make excuses for me every time I did something wrong. She used to gloss over all my mistakes. I'm telling you, it was a full-time job. And we've got mothers here tonight who would give the last drop of blood in their body if they could stand before God for that lost son, that lost daughter. But you can't do it, ladies. That lost son, that lost daughter is going to have to stand before God for themselves because a relative or a loved one will not be the judge. Well, who's it going to be? Well, the Bible says the judge at the great white throne will be none other than Jesus Christ himself. You say, I thought it was going to be God the Father. No. The Bible says the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Are you listening? Jesus. The same Jesus that was born in a manger in Bethlehem. The same Jesus that died on a cross for the sins of the world. The same Jesus that was buried in a tomb and raised from the dead. That Jesus will judge the world. That same Jesus that little children sing about, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, gentle Jesus, holy child. Oh, that very same Jesus will one day judge this world. And fellas, he's going to be the best judge the world's ever known. He's going to be the perfect judge for three reasons. Number one, the reason he's going to be the best judge is this. He has all the facts. The Bible says the books were open. Hey, buddy, do you realize right now at this very moment that God's candid camera is on you? Do you realize from the day you were born, God's tape recorder has been running? Do you realize that every word you've ever said, every thought you've ever had, every deed you've ever performed, it has been recorded by God with a pen of iron and letters of flames written on tablets of lead? Your life has been recorded by God. Now, teenage girls, listen to me. You can deceive your mama. You can say, Mama, I'm going to see one boyfriend. Then you can sneak off and see another boyfriend. Teenage boys, you can deceive your daddy. You say, Daddy, I'm going to see one kind of motion picture. Then you sneak off and see another kind of motion picture. You can deceive your pastor. You can deceive your friends. You can even deceive yourself. But friend, when you stand before this judge, all the deceiving in your life is over with because he knows everything there is to know about you because he has all the facts. The second reason he's the best judge is this. He has the power to bring you into judgment. The Bible says the sea gave up the dead which were in it, that death and hell delivered the dead which were in them. Those in the sea will come out of the sea. Those in the grave will come out of the grave. Those in hell will come out of hell to stand before God on that judgment day. Now, I was a businessman till I was 36 when I became a Christian. And as a businessman, I've met a lot of interesting characters in my day. And here's what I've learned about men. When men get into trouble, they'll try anything to get out of that trouble. I remember one old boy who had heavy tax problems. He just felt led to go to Mexico. One old boy's business problems made him go and he tried to hide in the Everglades. 
One old boy took his money and he hid it in a Swiss bank account. One man that I had gone to college with became so depressed about his business problems, he took a gun and he killed himself. But when this judge calls you, you're going to be there. The sea gave, will give up the dead. Death will give up the dead. Hell will give up the dead to stand before God. If you could run and hide, friend, you can't run and hide far enough. If you could go up into the air as high as our Saturn rockets can go, God's Holy Spirit will go up and get you and bring you down to stand before his judgment. If you could go into the middle of this earth, into the molten core of this earth, God's Holy Spirit will go down and get you and bring you back to stand before his judgment. If you die and they cremate your body and they spread your ashes to the four corners of the earth, God's Holy Spirit will gather those ashes together, put you back together, and stand you before the judgment. Because, buddy, when this judge calls, you're going to be there. He has the power to bring you into judgment. The third reason he's the best judge is this. He is unspotted in justice. There's going to be real justice on that day. Now, dear friends, we don't live in a day of justice right now. We live in a day of grace and mercy and forgiveness. I heard a preacher ask a lady one time. He said, ma'am, are you saved? She said, no. He said, well, do you think you're going to heaven? She said, well, sure I'm going to heaven. He said, well, if you're not saved, why in the world do you think you're going to heaven? She said, well, because God is just. Well, my dear friends, when God is just, a holy God must keep his word. He must punish sin. The wages of sin is death. And if you get the justice of God, what you'll get is death and hell and damnation. Friend, you don't want the justice of God. What you want is the mercy of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. And hallelujah, tonight you can have it. The Bible says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as well. I don't care what you've done or how many times you've done it or who you've done it with. If you'll turn from your sin tonight and come to Christ, you can find mercy and grace and forgiveness because today is not the day of justice, but on justice day, on the judgment day, friend, there'll be no forgiveness, no mercy, no grace. There'll be nothing but justice. And dear friend, you cannot stand the justice of God. So the judge will be Jesus Christ. He'll be the best judge because he has all the facts. He has the power to bring you into judgment. And he is unspotted in justice. There's going to be real justice on that day. No exemptions, no exceptions made. Number two, the defendants. Who will be the people that stand before God on that judgment day? Who's going to be there? Well, let me name a few groups that are going to be at that final judgment. The first group that will be there will be the old out-and-out sinner. Now, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? That's those folks that live in sin, and they're proud of it. They don't pretend to know God, don't pretend to be saved, just live like the devil, and they want everybody to know they live like the devil. I mean, on Sunday morning, they're sitting out there on the front porch drinking beer while everybody goes to church. When folks come by after church, they throw the empty beer cans at them. Just live like the devil, and they're proud of the old out-and-out sinner. Well, don't fret yourself about those folks. Their day is coming. One day they're going to stand before God and give an account to God for their life here on planet Earth. But there are going to be a lot of other people there besides that old dirty, rotten, out-and-out sinner. The second group that's going to be there will be the self-righteous. Who are the self-righteous? Well, the self-righteous are the good people. 
They're nice people. They live in nice houses, live in nice neighborhoods, drive nice cars. They're the best people in Ruston, Louisiana. I mean, they're on the school board. They're on the city council. They're admired. They're respected by everybody. They're good, decent, and moral and looked up to, and they don't think they need the gospel. You talk to these good, decent, self-righteous people, they go, oh, William, that that old-fashioned gospel, it's not for me. I mean, I live a good moral life. The gospel is for the drunkard or the prostitute or or the outcast. The gospel is for the down and outer. Well, my friend, the Bible says the gospel is not only for the down and outer, it's for the up and outer. The Bible says that the dead, both small and great, will stand before God. And I'm proud to be here, and I love you to death, and I'm grateful for you being here tonight. But hear me very carefully. I don't care how big your house is. I don't care how many cars you drive. I don't care how much money you've got in the bank. And I don't care how big a big shot you may be in the county. If you've not been born again by the Holy Spirit, you are as lost as the most wicked sinner who's ever lived. And you need to stop trusting in yourself. And trust in the only one who's ever been good, and that's Jesus. Because the self-righteous are going to be there. Good people, moral people, decent people, the best people you know. But these good people have never acknowledged their sin before God, have never repented and been born of His Spirit. Therefore, God classifies these good people lost. The third group that will be there will be the procrastinators. Now, you need to perk your ears up because some of you are in this group. The procrastinators are people who want to be saved. They want to go to heaven. They want to be right with God. And they intend to get saved someday, just not right now. There are actually people that believe that certain times of your life are not good for getting saved. The first is the cuddly child stage. We don't like to see little children. You know, they're too young. Hold them back. I mean, don't rope them into the kingdom of God. So we procrastinate. and We fail to present the gospel to everybody. And it's a sin against God. Then we have the tender teens. And somebody's always getting on to the preacher saying, you're, you're being too hard on the teenagers. You can't expect teenagers to live for God. I mean, they've got football games and basketball games and pep rallies and dances. I mean, lighten up. Let them sow a few wild oats. You're only young once. So we procrastinate and we die, let them die and go to hell in their tender teens. Then come the tempestuous 20s. That's when young couples are just getting married. And they're setting up their house and they're, they're buying all these new appliances on payment. Got that new color TV set, 88 payments. And you try to talk to them about God. And they go, oh, William, well, I can't get saved and live for God right now. We both work six days a week. Sunday's the only day we've got off, and we've got all these things to pay for. But you let us get a little further down the road, get some of these things paid for, then we'll get saved and we'll live for God. So they procrastinate. They die and go to hell during the tempestuous 20s. Then come the terrible 30s. That's when you're paying for all those tempestuous years. And you got little bitty children. And you're going to little league and dancing and basketball and tennis and swimming. And you, you think, oh, man, I meet myself coming and going in the highway with these kids. I can't get saved and live for God right now. But you let these kids grow up. Let us get a little further down the road, and then we'll get saved and live for God. And they don't get saved during the terrible 30s. Then come the feverish 40s and the fiendish 50s and the sagging 60s and the sinking 70s and the aching 80s and nagging 90s. Not now, not now. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says today is the day to be saved. The Bible says now is the hour of salvation. The Bible says when you hear the voice of God, don't harden your heart. And if God puts it on your heart to be saved tonight, 
Don't walk away lost with a smug look thinking you're going to get a second chance. There's absolutely no guarantee that you'll ever be saved past tonight. If you knew the danger you were in right now, you'd run to God right now, even before this sermon was over, if you could see the danger your soul is in right now. But the procrastinators are going to be there, people who wanted to get saved, but they put it off one too many times, and they missed God. The final group that will be there will be church members. Church members by the millions will stand before God and be lost at the great white throne judgment. You say, William, I thought if I joined the church, I was all right. No, the church is not the way to heaven. The church is merely the sign that points you to heaven. Jesus is the way to heaven. Suppose you were going to Dallas from Ruston, Louisiana. How many miles is it from here to Dallas? 100 miles, 120, something like that? Is that right? How far is it? Speak up. Suppose you decided to go to Dallas. You got here on the interstate and you take off heading towards Shreveport going to Dallas, Texas. And on, that, on the side of the road, let's say about 100 miles away from Dallas, there's a big old sign that says, Dallas, Texas, 100 miles. And there I am sitting on top of that sign. You pull off the side of the road and you'd say, William, what in the world are you doing? I say, well, I'm going to Dallas. You say, son, if you want to go to Dallas, you better climb up that sign and get in this car with me. I say, oh, no, thank you, friend. But I really believe if I sit here on this sign long enough, eventually I'm going to make it to Dallas, Texas. And I'm real sincere about this thing. Now, we can laugh about that. and We know I can sit on that sign all my life. I'm never going to make it to Dallas. The same thing is true about First Baptist Church or any church in Russian Louisiana. You can sit in church all of your life and die and go to hell. You can have your baptismal certificates, your deacon ordination papers, your choir robes, all the ribbons you want at church camp. You can have everything the church can give to you and die and go to hell because the church is not the way to heaven. It's just the sign that points you to heaven. Jesus is the way to heaven. You see, the folks that will stand before God on that judgment day will be good people and bad people, young people and old people, uh, church members and non-church members. But the one thing they'll have in common is this. There was never a day in their life when they really got serious with God. There was never a day that they turned away from their sin. There was never a day that they gave ownership of their life to God. There was never a day when they were born of the Spirit of the living God. And God will classify all these people lost. Now, I want to ask you a question, Dyke. Where do you stand with God? I mean, if you had to stand before God tonight and give an account of your life, what would you say about your life with God? Would you be saved or would you be lost? You say, William, I believe I would be saved. Well, let me ask you another question. Why do you think you're saved? You see, we live in a, we live in a bubble where we, we sometimes just teach ourselves so many things we get to believing our own teaching without really looking to see what the bible says about salvation we get this idea of salvation that may not line up with what god has said why do you believe you're a christian what does it make what does a man have to do to be a christian go back to that moment let me ask you this question when did you get saved go back to the moment you counted salvation in your mind when did you get saved were you a child in vacation bible school were you a teenager in church camp? Were you a young adult? When did you get saved? Go back to the moment that marks the time you met God. When was it? Now let me ask you a second question. How did you get saved? 
What did you do to get saved at that point in time? Go back to that moment when it happened to you. What did you do to get saved? Did you make a profession of faith? Did you pray and ask God to forgive you and save you? Did you pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart? I mean, what in the world did you do to be saved? Because, friends, the only thing that will save a man is this. It is repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all that saves a man. It's not a profession of faith. It's not asking God to forgive you and save you. It's not just saying, I believe in Jesus. Repentance and faith. There must be a day in your life when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Has God ever spoken to you? Has the Holy Spirit ever revealed the truth to you? Have you ever seen God in truth as holy and high and lifted up? Have you ever seen God for who he is? Have you ever seen yourself for who you are? Has God ever revealed the sinner that you are? Have you ever seen yourself compared to the law of God and see how you've broken God's law into a thousand pieces? Has your heart ever broken for the way you've treated God with your life? Have you ever been under genuine conviction of sin? Because when a man really comes under conviction, he never forgets that moment, friend. And then when you get that conviction, when you finally see that you're a lost sinner, doomed and down to hell, helpless and hopeless, somebody tells you about Jesus, and you make your stand, you repent, you change your mind. God, I saw things this way, but now I see it your way. I want to change my mind, and I want to change my affections. I want to love you and not the world, and I want to change my direction and stop going this way, and I want to live for you, and you must repent. And then you must believe By receiving Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Well, what happens then? What happened to you after your profession of faith? Go back to that moment you call salvation. When did it happen? What did you do? And the most important question is this. What happened after that? Here's the testimony of most of you. You came down as a child or you came down as a a, a teenager You prayed a prayer, you got baptized, somebody told you you were saved, and you went outside the church, and you continued to live the same way you've always lived. Or else you were a child, and you lived pretty good for God till you got in those teenage years, and you learned about beer and alcohol and drugs and sex, and you went full speed toward the sin. My friend, if that happens to you, you're a lost man. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are done away with. Behold, all things become new. When a man meets God, he never goes back to the world, fellas. Because the Bible says, a man who claims faith in Christ, but goes back to the world, never really knew God to begin with. You see, I want to ask you this. Here's here's the warning signs of a person who really doesn't know God. When they get under preaching like this and they get under conviction... The first thing they do is they run to somebody else to talk about it. They run to a friend or a deacon or the pastor to talk about their salvation, whether they're saved or not. Now, why is that a warning sign? Because, friend, with salvation, man cannot help you. And if a, man, if a person is really saved, they have met God. And they know that the answer comes from God. And a person who's really saved, if they have questions about their salvation, they won't go to another man. They'll go to God to get the answer because he's the only one who can answer their question. And when you see people who are doubting their salvation and they run to other men to talk about it, that's a warning sign that something's wrong. They don't even know who to go to. A second warning sign is if you have a big hole in your testimony. What that means is you made a profession of faith. You live for God a little bit, 
And then you turned your back on God and went back and lived like everybody else for a period of time. And then on the other side of that, you got back in church and started living right. That big hole in your testimony is a warning sign that something's wrong in your life. What happens to a lot of people is they make a decision as a child. They get in the teenage years. They live like the world. They commit all the sins of the world. They go off to college and live in sin. They party, live like the devil. Then they finally get married and have children, and they decide to clean up their act and get back in church and live better. That's the mark of a lost person, friend, because a true Christian, a true Christian will not go back to the world once he has the Spirit of God in his heart. Well, that's the judge. That's the defendants. It's time for the trial itself. What's the trial at the great white throne going to be like? Well, it'd be like most trials you've ever, ever seen. First, there'll be the evidence presented against you. Then there'll be your defense. And then there'll be the verdict. What's the evidence going to be presented against you? When you stand before God and the books are opened, what's going to be the evidence presented Well, every lie you've ever told will be revealed. Every deceit you've ever committed will be shown. Every gray hair you put on your daddy's head, every wrinkle you put on your mother's face, it'll be revealed. Every dishonest business deal that you've ever been involved in, every magazine you thumb through that you shouldn't have thumbed through, every book you've read that you shouldn't have read, every movie you've seen that you shouldn't have seen, it'll all be revealed on that day. Those sins that you did years ago and you have forgotten about them, They're going to be remembered by God. Those sins that you did in secret and you think nobody knows about them, those sins will be shouted from the rooftop. And your sins will come dancing out of the closet like skeletons before your very eyes to shame you and condemn you on that day. It'll be like that old Negro spiritual that said, I went to the rock to hide my face, but the rock cried out. No hiding place. There'll be no hiding place on that day. You'll stand before God exposed, the truth finally being revealed as a sinner against a holy God. What's your defense going to be? Well, I can imagine what some of you will say. Some of you will say, well, God, I didn't get saved because I didn't know what church to join. And God will say, I never told you to trust in a church. I told you to trust in Jesus Some of you will say, well, God, I didn't get saved because there's just too many hypocrites in the church. God's going to say, do tell. God's going to say, I know there are hypocrites in the church. There are hypocrites in all churches. But God will say, I didn't tell you to trust in the church membership. I told you to trust in Jesus. Some of you are going to say, well, God, I didn't get saved because of that old evangelist, William Blackburn. I mean, our pastor brought him in here from the wild, wild west, preaching those wild west sermons to all of us dignified folks. I I just didn't appreciate that guy very much. And God's going to say, I never told you to trust in a preacher. I told you to trust in Jesus. Some of you will say, well, God, I didn't get saved because I was waiting until I knew I could live it. You ever hear that nonsense? You wait till you can live it and you'll die and go to hell. You need to trust in Jesus and let Jesus live it. Some of you are going to be standing before God on that day. You're going to be crying a bucket full of tears. And you're going to say, oh, God, oh, God, please, wait a minute, God, wait a minute. I wanted to get saved. I intended to get saved, but God, please listen to me. I didn't have time. I mean, I was, I was going to school. I was raising children. I was starting my business. I was trying to make a living. God, wait, wait, God, I love you, and I wanted to be saved, but God, I just didn't have time to get saved. 
God's going to say, well, there was that Monday night in Ruston, Louisiana, when my servant William Blackburn stood and preached the gospel. You had that time to get saved. Why didn't you get saved then? Because I can tell you on the authority of the Bible, if there's not a day in your life, a time in your life, a moment in your life, when you repent of your sin and by faith take Christ as Lord and Savior and are born of God, no excuse you can make will keep you out of hell. Well, the evidence has been presented. Your excuse has been made. It's time for the verdict. The Bible teaches to the great white throne judgment that the unsaved will be marched by one by one in single file to stand before him who's on the throne. And I can see you standing there. And I can see Jesus on the throne looking down into your face. And standing beside Jesus will be the recording angel. He'll have a pen in his hand ready to write the verdict across your name. And the angel will say, Lord, what do I write? And Jesus with tears in his eyes will look at you and say, He who denied me before men, I must deny before my Father which is in heaven. And then he'll say what we read a few moments ago. For whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And the angel will say, but Lord, please, Lord, what do I write? What do I write? And Jesus with tears coming down his cheeks and with a broken heart will look at you and say, write L-O-S-T. Right across the name, lost. 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 And you'll look up and you'll cry, oh, my God. Oh, my God, do you really mean it, Jesus? Do you really mean it? And Jesus, with a tear-stained face, will simply look at the person standing behind you and say, next, L-O-S-T, lost for all eternity. Oh, my dear friends, are you saved? Are you saved? I'm not asking, are you a good person? I'm not asking, do you believe in God? I'm asking, have you been born of the Spirit of God? Was there a day in your life when God revealed Himself to you? Was there a moment that you repented and turned away from the world and gave ownership of your life to God and were supernaturally changed by the Holy Spirit? Were you born again? Do you know for sure? That if you were to die tonight, that you go to heaven. Because, see, God only knows two kinds of people. Those who are saved, those who are lost. And if you stand before God at the great white throne judgment, you're going to be lost for all eternity. Let's bow our heads.